when I tell stories, I, I did a lot of stage work. I'm, I'm not doing much now because of this COVID pandemic. But when I did, and I think I will again, I actually realized that presenting is a performance. It's not a speech. You got to perform it and, and, and live it. It's a one-man show. And by doing this, people get really engaged in the story. Uh, in in book telling too, I'm trying to make it vivid enough where people can start painting pictures. I do know this last component of storytelling. If the reader or the listener, the person experiencing it feels like they're part of the story, then you've won. Don't make yourself the hero and like, oh, I'm amazing. Make them the hero of the story and, and show the impact they're having. And people thirst for that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's narrative transportation, right? Pulling them yeah. into the story and really locking them in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's as old as humankind, like, you know, around the campfire, uh, you know, the, the Neanderthal Ugg is talking to the other Neanderthal Ugg too, and, and they're, they're doing stories. And that's how information was, was transferred and, and sustained. Storytelling is, is mission critical. And so few businesses leverage the fact. No one wants to hear, we're an amazing company. We have 7,000 great clients and we can serve you next. People are much more like, you know, we saw a problem out there of people marketing and placating, but not leveraging neuroscience. We ran this crazy experiment and oh my gosh, we got a client, you know, X, Y, Z, and it, it transformed their life. And then we're like, what if we this crazy idea and start a neuroscience lab? And so we got these geeky people all working at our lab and look at how crazy we are. And this is what we're doing. There's much more flavor to that than just the rote stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and when we started to lean into that, the whole game changed. I believe. Right? And, and everybody talks about it, right? It's that moment of like, that. it's that aha or that epiphany moment of even within your own brand, right? Because we were trying to do the same thing everybody else was. Yeah. And it wasn't clicking, right? And it wasn't until we finally leaned into this is really what we are and what we do, right? And it was all out of fear. It was the fear that we wouldn't sure. be accepted by the business community. It was the fear that we would be rejected yeah. because we're not we're not living up to what the status quo for other people are. We'd much rather take the first two or three months that we work with a client and do nothing but copy and messaging and wording and storytelling. And everybody wants the quick hit of ads. Yeah, we can do the ads. We can do all of this. But for us, the real magic is how can we leverage all the senses inside of your business? Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's and that and that's what we live for. And I noticed you you do that too, right? You use the word juice, sticky, <laughs> yeah, paint a yeah. picture, right? It's those it's those adjectives and those verbs that really suck you into a story that you can put your brain and your mind and emotions into. That's right. You know, there is a uh, a fear factor that kicks in, and I think it's right. Uh, it's very appropriate to feel that fear, but success is on the other side of it. we have to get through it. So the fear is if you're serving an existing community by watering down who you are the fears are going to lose that community. And the fact is you likely will, because once you lean into who you really are, that community is going to say, Oh, they're not for me anymore. But the question is, do we want to be accepted by people who really don't like us for who we are? They like us who they think we are and it's not even real. Or do we want to be accepted by the community that really resonates with us? And I think for all of us, we want to be accepted by a community, but you have to have the courage to abandon the people who are seeing the fake you so that people, when they see the real, you can accept you. And it's that leap from changing one tribe to another, that is really frightening. But if you do it, oh my God, the upside is so rewarding. It's like, oh, I, all I have to do is be myself. That's pretty cool. We're both students of psychology. Where, where do you really drive a lot of your psychology knowledge from? 
I, I really like Aristotle. I, you know, it's super old. Um, and, but I think like the principles of psychology and persuasion come from Aristotle. Like he has this, uh, triangle that, uh, has three sides that essentially, uh, three points that are ethos, pathos, and logos. Mm-hmm. And those are the three elements of psychology. Uh, essentially ethos is, uh, the credibility of the speaker. Pathos is the emotion of the words spoken and logos is the logic. So, and and logos obviously is essentially if you were developing a case as an attorney or a lawyer, logos is like the foundation, you know, what, what is your argument? What is actually, what is the thing that you're arguing? What are the objections that you're handling? How can you win your argument with substantiation? You know, like how can you make this believable and irresistible and uh, make this better than every other product on the market? That's logos. Um, and then you, you piece together and, and then you overlap that like with elements, uh, uh, emotional elements. So emotional elements could be story. It could be, you know, you know, why it actually matters. Dimensionalized benefits, like we were talking about before, why it matters to the customer, the, the fear of loss, right? How it creates certainty, what will it do for their family or what will it do for them? Like those are all emotional benefits. And then ethos is obviously the like the credibility of the speaker. So it's, it's, this is why uh, some e-com brands obviously have faces. Like for example, Dr. X, it's great for him to be the face because he's a, he's a, a trusted uh, advisor. He's a trusted authority and ethos as Aristotle states is the most powerful form of persuasion. If you think about it, like we were talking earlier in the episode, the most important thing that drives sales is actually like the opinions of others uh, that we trust. So uh, like as a trusted advisor, trusted advisors could be friends, family members, doctors, uh, any, anything to drive a sale. Like if we go to a doctor and they're like, Hey, you should probably take this supplement from this brand. It's most likely like something like you don't second guess, you just do it. it. You know, it's, it's like, it doesn't need to be emotionally driven sale, but a lot of brands online, if you don't necessarily have a face, you have to find other forms of, of ethos, mm-hmm. right? And, and the best way to create a sense of authority and trust is to best to encapsulate the the words of the audience, the thoughts and the words of the audience. And that really comes through research. And especially if you're selling e-commerce products, the best way to find those words is through one in five star reviews on Amazon. Because those people are the most emotionally engaged and really speaking towards their problem, the problems with the product or what they love the most, how it had changed their life, all these things and and those one in five star reviews are better pieces of copy than you could have ever imagined. And like I, I swear they make for the best stories, the best angles, the best hooks, amazing ads. And they're there free for you to look. So another great one is Quora. Quora is a great place to look because those are questions that people are legitimately asking about the problem that you're trying to solve. Right. And then finally, you know, obviously Reddit's great too. It is called the uh, homepage of the internet for a reason. A lot of the things that go viral on social media first went viral on, on Reddit for a reason. So Reddit is kind of like you taking a, a time machine backwards uh, and you get to see what's going to go viral before it goes viral. And like the, the things that people vent on because they're not, their face isn't necessarily attached to a profile on Reddit are more honest and open and real than any other platform on the internet. So that's why I always suggest like, if we're going to get into research, 
which is probably 80% of the success of any piece of copy is the research. Cause you know, I spend majority of my time on research. If you get the research part down, you'll be able to write a stellar piece of copy, even if you aren't that great of a writer, because you're letting the customers write it for you. There, there are so many things in business. And I, th- I think strategic planning is uh, another example where you know strategic planning has gotten a bad name because nobody ever, plans never work out the way you expect. But the mere process of thinking about your business in a conscious way and looking at uh, some of the details is always beneficial. Even if that you know, five-year sales forecast doesn't come to pass. You know, things happen in the marketplace, things happen in the world that change, uh, change up the whole game. Nevertheless, it's forcing you to think about it. I created my own little framework, the persuasion slide, that is four elements, which we don't have to go through, but each yeah, one has a conscious, it. well, we, each one has a conscious and a non-conscious component. Uh, and the reason I did that was for the same reason that I think you're talking about the Tony Robbins various uh, facets, the six facets are, uh, and it is to make people think, okay, I'm appealing to the conscious buyer in this way, but how at the same, in the same piece of marketing, am I appealing to those non-conscious processes? Mm. And it's going to, you know, that, that mix is going to vary. Like I said, for, for perfume, you're not going to be doing anything that's really conscious. You're not going to be talking about how uh, your product tested better in, uh, you know, I don't know, you have a blind smell test, but, uh, or that, you know, what percentage of various essential oils you have in your product versus your competition, you're going to use emotional imagery uh, that, you know, evokes some kind of a, an emotion, excitement, romance, adventure, something. You're going to show pictures of people that maybe the customer would like to be or would like to be with. So that's all non-conscious. But, you know, for most marketers, it isn't quite that simple. They've got to really work on both. And, uh, you know, I guess we want to hit the four elements of this persuasion slide very quickly. Gravity are the motivations that your customer is coming to you with. And they might include those six things from Tony Robbins as the non-conscious motivations. Uh, then you've got, of course, the conscious motivators. If, if somebody's buying a car, the car's got to be of the right size to accommodate their family and their dog and whatever they have to haul around. They wanted to have good fuel economy. It's got to be within their budget. So those are, those are all very important conscious aspects to it. But we know that people buy cars because they are excited by the appearance because they have offer prestige. When people, the neighbors see it in the driveway, maybe they think it'll make them look attractive to other people. You know, there's the uh, angle of the slide is the mo- motivation that you're providing. And, you know, this is where, when people arrive at your website or when they see your ad, this is sort of what you're adding to the mix in marketing your product. Again, conscious and non-conscious things. The nudge is at the top of the slide when mom or dad gives the kid a push. And in our case, that represents cutting the customer's attention. If it could be a pop-up ad, it could be a search ad, an email, a phone call, an in-person sales call, a visible call to action, a website. All these are nudges. And again, you can have conscious and non-conscious aspects to that nudge. Some are pretty obvious. Sometimes you're going to maybe include an image uh, in there that the customer is not going to really process consciously, but it will have uh, some kind of subconscious or non-conscious appeal. And then finally, the last element of the slide, which is really my favorite for the last few years, is friction. If you've ever seen a kid get stuck partway down the slide because it's not slippery enough, that's friction at work. And in our framework, it's any kind of difficulty, any kind of 
effort in the process that slows the customer down or stops them completely. So this and there's is like excessive form friction. box. Uh, yeah, I mean, forms are a great example. You know, you know, one of the crazy statistics is uh, the amount of merchandise that is abandoned in e-commerce shopping carts every year. It's like over like four trillion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's one estimate is uh, more than four trillion dollars is abandoned, which is about twice as much, at least in that that period, as the actual sales. So a huge amount of waste. Just, you know, think of all wow. the money that went into driving that traffic, all the pay-per-click ads, the social media marketing, the content marketing, the SEO, the web design. You got the customer on your website shopping around. They click, they put it in their shopping cart, but then you fail to get them across the finish line. And when uh, one company analyzed why people leave their stuff in their shopping cart, like four out of the top five reasons were frictional in nature, a complicated checkout process, the need to set up an account rather than checking out as a guest, you know, confusion, hidden charges that they only find out at the end. All of these things are totally avoidable with the right uh, process design, but uh, nevertheless, uh, many companies don't do that. So it's like you can have everything that you want in your life, just don't want what other people have. It's like a cardinal sin, yeah. you know, want what you want, go get what you want, decide what you want, and then go get it. It's those internal motivators, man, versus the external every time. The ones that cause us the most emotional knots. But I want to get into drop funnels because this is something that's new to me and that I want to start checking out more on my own. But what in the world got you riled up and wanted to start doing this? Yeah. So we're all familiar with a guy named Russell Brunson who's an absolute genius marketer, like one of the best salesmen alive, one of the best digital marketers alive, period, right? So he came out uh, and I had used ClickFunnels for, uh, for several years. Sales funnels have been around for over a hundred years. Like they're, he brought it into like a way to, to do digital marketing without all the programming. But before that existed, we were building sales funnels in HTML and custom design. You need programmers, you need tech. It was really, really difficult. And so actually at that time, we were building them in WordPress. So WordPress powers 34% of the internet. It solves 80 to 90% of the indexing issues that Google faces by default. Um, it has incredible scale, very powerful, very fast loading, but it's very technical. So at that time, we had to have programming teams and all that and very, very difficult to, to be figuring out marketing if you're not a technical person. So we we're building that and it's the tech that helps you to rank and to sell stuff, period. It's the infrastructure. Then good old RB comes out with the solution to bringing sales funnel psychology into the tech world. And so we launched ClickFunnels and six or so years ago, and there's been lots of others that have kind of come onto the scene, you know, because of the popularity of that, of the platform. And he brought the sales psychology into the tech world. It's like, oh, awesome. Now I can build visually, I can visually design pages and I can sell my stuff online. And then but there's, there's, there's critical flaws. It's built on a, on a system called Ruby on Rails. And what people need to understand is the foundation of your business is your, your tech. The tech that you build on is critical. It's the same as like the house on the rock and the house on the sand. A beautiful house, even on the sand, when a, wind, when a storm comes, it's going to get blown over. So in that way, sales, traditional sales funnel builders that are custom coded, they have a lot of intrinsic flaws that uh, kind of compare them, I'd compare them to being like a house on a sand where your pages load super slow. So your, your traffic actually costs more. You lose sales because it's a bad customer experience. 
you can't actually build visually what you want to build because you the, the tools aren't intended right. for that. There's a huge learning curve when you're getting into it really initially. It can't rank very well in Google at all. So you're sacrificing almost 100% of your organic sales that should exist. And on top of that, there's URL redirect issues. Like if, because it's built in their URL uh, hierarchy structure, it's actually a redirect. So you'll get your ad account shut down and not know why it's actually your, your sales funnel builder. So I was looking back uh, two or three years ago, I said, wait a second, we've got WordPress. It's powerful. Google loves it. Facebook loves it. It's fast, highest conversions of any platform that exists. And then we have like sales funnel builders that has the psychology, but not the tech. And then I realized one day, why on earth, why don't, why don't we just connect these two? Why doesn't anyone just connect these two? Um, and not like embedded sales funnels onto a WordPress page or anything. I'm talking about like a truly powerful all-in-one solution. And I searched and it didn't exist. It literally didn't exist. There's plugins for that. There's servers and hosting and tech all required with WordPress. And I thought, man, there's a lot of people. A lot of my friends are having the same issues, ad account shutdowns. Uh, or needing full tech teams to go that way. And I was like, why don't I just bring this together? So it took a thousand bucks and I hired a, a little development team to create a minimum viable product for it. And I took it to the market and they went gangbusters over it. So at that point we had started uh, an all-in-one solution. So there's no servers, no plugins, no themes, no tech, no code, anything. I wanted to eliminate all of that that exists in WordPress, but let you build sales funnels. And so now we've, over the last year, we've, we've grown by, last year we grew by 10.4x, um, growing to thousands of users on the platform. And inside now you can build what used to take us months to build in a day. You can build courses, all visual drag and drop, uh, all your sales funnels, your site, your blog, link tracking built in. You can actually sell stuff and deliver it all within the same platform. And it really became the solution that I wanted all those years ago. And that I think some of the founders of these other sales funnel platforms wanted. It's what they wish that they had built, but now it exists without any of the headache and giving you really the best of both worlds all in one. And the reason I'm such a stickler about this term is because it's very disempowering that when you tell people uh, they're addicted to something, they believe there's nothing they can do because an addiction is this uh, compulsive dependency because it is a pathology. We medicalize and moralize behavior that we could actually control. So the first thing I want people to realize out there is that you have way more power than you think. That even when it comes to addictions, we know that the number one determinant of whether an alcoholic will, uh, will, will stay sober after treatment is not their level of physical dependency, but rather it is their belief in their own power to change. So the first step to living the kind of life you want and doing the things that you know you should every day, but somehow don't seem to actually do is to believe in your own power to do something. That's what becoming indistractable is all about. An indistractable person lives with personal integrity, right? Most of us, uh, we would hate to be called liars, right? The vast majority of us, it's a, it, most people are, are honest. Most people wouldn't lie to their children, wouldn't lie to their spouse, wouldn't lie to their colleagues. And yet they lie to themselves every day, right? They say they're going to work out. Nah, they say they're going to do that big project. Not so much, right? We lie to ourselves every single day. I know I certainly did. And so the goal of becoming indistractable is to be as honest with yourself as you are with other people, to live with personal integrity. 
Wouldn't you say that's where a lot of self or uh, self confidence comes from, or the micro promises like that that we keep to ourselves? I mean, th- this is this is really where the difference between uh, what what is distraction really really matters. And so let, let, let's actually take a step back and, and talk sure. about what is distraction. It's one of those terms that I think a lot of people think they understand. I thought I understood, but I I really didn't. Uh, that I thought I understood the word. And a, a good way to test yourself on whether you know something is to ask yourself whether you know the opposite of that thing. Do you know the antonym? So if you ask most people, what is the opposite of distraction? They'll tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, right? Of course, the opposite of distraction is focus, but that's not true. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction, if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is traction. So uh, if you look at the Latin origin of both words, they both come from the same Latin root, which means, uh, which comes from trahare, which means to pull. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so traction is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you towards your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. You'll also notice that both traction and distraction end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is anything that moves you towards your values, towards your goals, helps you become the kind of person you know you can become. The opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you further away from your goals, further away from what you intended to do, further away from your values, and further away from becoming the kind of person you know you can become. And this is super important for two reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction. So if you sit down at your desk and you say to yourself, okay, I've got that big project I have to work on today. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to procrastinate. But first, let me just check some email." right? If you are now suddenly checking email, even though that's a work-related task, if that is not what you intended to do with your time, you are distracted. This is what we call pseudo work. And people are drowning in this pseudo work. They trick themselves into thinking, well, I got to do email at some point. I got to, you know, I got to read the news at some point. I got to check those Slack channels at some point. And they don't realize that distraction has tricked them into prioritizing the easy stuff and the urgent stuff, as opposed to the important and hard work that we have to do to move ourselves forward in life. So anything can be a distraction. Even the work stuff can be a distraction. And conversely, anything can be traction. So these days you hear a lot of these chicken little tech critics telling you that technology is taking over your brain, that it's hijacking your mind, that it's addictive. BS, it is not true. It's exactly what the tech companies want you to believe. They want you to believe that it's addictive, that you can't stop. It's not true that anything you want to do on your schedule and according to your values is fine. You want to play video games all day? No problem. As long as that's what you do with intent. The difference between traction and distraction is forethought. So if you plan to do it, great. There's nothing wrong with it. As long as that's done with intent in advance that you decide you want to do that according to your schedule and your values, not somebody else's. So now we have the difference between traction and distraction. Now we have to ask ourselves, well, what prompts us to take these actions? We have external triggers and internal triggers. External triggers are about 10% of the reason you get distracted, but it tends to be 100% of the reason that people think they get distracted. So I'm talking about the pings, the dings, the rings. People think that's what causes distraction. It only causes 10% of the distraction. 90% of the distraction, 90% of distractions come from what we call internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states 
that we seek to escape from. Boredom, loneliness, anxiety, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, these are the internal triggers that we seek to escape from. And so the first step to becoming indistractable is mastering those internal triggers. One of the things I wanted to bring you on today to talk about is you are such a systems and processes guy. You've built multiple businesses over the seven and eight figure points. What I wanted to get into is remote management. With everything that happened over 2020, moving into 2021, still with a lot of states and countries around the globe, all of our employees aren't necessarily in-house anymore. And so many of them are scattered in different time zones, dealing with different stuff throughout their daily lives. How in the world do we start to create structure and management around people that are remote from us? Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, you know, as you know, my, my last business that I just exited, uh, we had nothing but remote employees. And mm -hmm. uh, we were a team size of about uh, 20, either 21 or 23 uh, by the time I, I exited. And um, it was a challenge. And for the longest time, I always thought I wanted that brick and mortar business. And then we, we never did it. We never pulled the trigger. We almost did it a year prior to COVID shutting the world down. And I'm like, thank goodness we didn't do that because <laughs> it would have made things very difficult for us. Um, but that was, that was something kind of ahead of the curve. We had a remote team for years. I mean, uh, I started that business in 2009 wow. and just exited in, in 2020. So we, we kept running into the same issues and everything boiled down to communication. So, okay, cool. What does that look like? Fast forward through things, we wind up implementing one core value in the company, which is communication. It was that important to us. It was communication internally and communication going outbound to our customers and our vendors who were working with us and, and who we're working for. So, all right, well, how do we manage all of this? How do we put everything in, in you know, different pieces so anyone can, can access things? And this is where software really comes into, into play. And you can build a lot of your systems and processes in the software too, without having to do the old school, oh, let me go write an SOP because right. I'm not a fan of that personally. I, yeah, I'm a systems and processes guy, but nobody wants to write an SOP. It's just, yeah. it's brutal work. It's brutal. So a couple things here. Uh, we leverage Google, uh, what's Google Workplace now? It was Google Suite forever. And the ability to use the shared drive on there and share oh drive across the entire team or have, hey, this is a shared drive for the finance team. This is a shared drive for the marketing team. And in, in our instance, we had a shared drive for the installation technicians who were the guys who went out into the field and did the work. Hmm. So anytime we had a technical update or, hey, this, this is a new product we're installing, we would upload those installation manuals so those guys wouldn't have to call in and ask us, hey, you know, right. where's this guy? How do I look this up? It's all in one central place. So that was number one. Number two, we leverage Slack heavily internally. Uh, listen, I don't care which you use. There's a hundred different companies out there at this point that, that offer something similar to sure. Slack, but we would create custom Slack channels depending upon either the project or the roles within the company. So we had an executive Slack chat. We had uh, a Slack chat for the installation technicians. We had a Slack chat specific for scheduling work. And my favorite channel was the ring the bell channel. So hashtag ring the bell. That was a Slack channel for us. And that's where we would go in and we would communicate wins. Anybody who had a win, whether it was personal or professional, we went in there 
and shared it across the whole team. And that, what that did was it, it bumped up morale of the company because everyone kept seeing everyone else win. Listen, everyone has a, a loss, right? And this is something that I picked up from Stuman on a personal level a couple of years back. You record your wins every single day, okay? Like clockwork. I mean, I write them down every day. And it could be a micro win. It doesn't have to be this big thing like I, I won a million bucks in a lottery kind of deal. You know, it could be like, you know, uh, I didn't drink any alcohol today. If alcohol is a problem with, uh, for you, it could be like I stuck to my diet today or I actually gone in uh, and did my, my workout this morning that I said I was going to do. Um, but going back to it here, you don't write down losses ever. You never record a loss. There is no such thing. It's only a lesson learned. Earlier, you were talking about that you found that there are three camps of people, the people that adapted quickly and pivoted, the people mm -hmm. that, for lack of a better term, they haven't figured out where they wanted to shit or get off the pot. And there's the last group, which just refused to acknowledge that this is actually happening around us. Yeah. And those are the ones that I've noticed are dying. What I'm most worried about is the other 66% of the people that actually give a damn about moving forward and care about the success of their business and the success of their employees. And I've noticed a lot of them, instead of fight or flight, they went into freeze mode. They're just like, we're yeah. just going to wait. We're going to wait on everything. We, we don't, there's too much uncertainty out there that I'm not afraid to gravitate towards something that's certain but there's uncertainty in how certain that outcome is. So yeah. I understand I need to make the moves to get me more sustainable growth, but because I can't put an exact equation of one equals five X on that, I'm afraid to make my move. Yeah. I've seen that a lot. Like I, I literally have had conversations with business owners that have been in business for five, 10, 15 years or more. And they'll say something like that. They'll say, all right, I'm going to give it one last go on this, this marketing strategy. And if it doesn't work, I'm done. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you can't do that. Like it, it, that mindset won't work in the market that we live in. It won't just to the point that we Ted talked about five minutes ago with what you, what you said, Alex, like you, the model of business that wins today is this is this flexible business mindset as a CEO that it's okay to fail. It's okay to be curious, ask questions, test stuff that we're not sure about. That honestly is the only way you will build a certain roadmap to success because there's so many unanswered questions or variables that we haven't even tried yet to play with where if you stay in freeze mode, you're going to be at the beginning of the game board. If we're playing shoots and ladders, right? You're at the beginning of the map. Whereas, yeah, you might go up that game board and you might make a mistake and you might fall back down that ladder again, but you're not going to go back usually to, to square one. Um, and, and vice versa. If you land on the right ladder as you're going up, you can make some quantum leaps in your journey very, very quickly. And that's the beauty of starting to, to learn to be a there's some things I love about Gary Vee. And I, I, I actually don't follow him as much as I used to. But one of the things I really like about one of his key messages he always talks about is being a practitioner, you know, yeah. is, is not being in love with the outcome at the end, which is very important, but being in love with the game itself of just being in love with learning and improving every day. Cause if you're, if you have that mindset, that growth mindset, um, you can't go wrong. You really can't. Even if you have a bad day or you lose, if you learn from it and then here's the other thing I'll, I'll tell your audience today. 
if you haven't made a total F up, you totally failed, messed up bad in the last 90 days, you're not taking enough risk. You got you got you got to take some big stretches, stretch yourself a big way and something in the next 90 days if you haven't yet to learn and be better. Because if you're if you're not it, it's such a different perspective. We had a couple um big big advances in the company in the last 90 180 days. And we've also had some very big at the time monumental mess ups. And you on one hand you could say man, what are we doing? Like maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't be doing this or we, we just, we're not, we suck. We're not great at this or maybe we should do something else. No, the, 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 the immediate response that we had that I led my team with is no, this sucks. It hurts. I can't sleep very well right now. All that is true. It's the beauty of an entrepreneur, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to implement effective, better change right now. And those mistakes made our company better by four or five times overnight where I was so thankful that that happened. It, who knows it, that if, if I would have made that mistake six months down the road, I've missed that learning moment. I, I, I wasted half a year to learn that. I, need to, I really did need to learn it now to get to my real goal, my, real, my, my growth goals. That lesson needed to be learned now, not down the road. And so there's a flip of the, of the, how do you look at failure that I wanted to get through on this? Because I, I view failure as, as a huge opportunity if you're doing it right. 